we're continuing to talk on transformation. And today I want to focus more on the real place of the fight. Many Christians spent a lot of years, me included, uh, rebuking the devil, resisting the devil, commanding the devil to leave our territory, our homes, and he seems to always make a way back. I had one preacher friend of mine, he was preaching a service and a lady came up for prayer, a new new person, and he said, lady, you just need to curse the devil, rebuke the devil, and and uh, gave her the microphone, and she turned around and looked at the crowd and said, devil, you blankly blank blank, I blank you in Jesus' name, go in Jesus' name, you blankly blank, and she, she just swore away, and he took the, grab the microphone back from her and said, lady, I said to curse the devil, not cuss the devil. <laughs> Many of us have spent a long time wondering why the devil keeps being able to come back and cause us trouble. Well, we learned that there is a devil, he likes to cause trouble, and he's involved with a lot of trouble in your life. But his main access to you is because of the flesh that you're wearing, the body that you're wearing, the areas that you're weak in. Those are the areas that he amplifies and works through to manipulate, to stir up trouble, thoughts, and control us. So I want to read here in Ephesians. We'll start in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 17. And we're going to talk about the real fight. And we're going to see it in Paul's view, the real fight of faith, the real fight of a believer. Verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the fatuity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work of uncleanliness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ." If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Now, if you've listened in Transformation Series, hopefully you're learning that that old man is your natural body and the natural part of your soul that lives in the natural body. That's where every brokenness, every desire to sin, every desire to lie, every desire for weakness, for fear, every bit of pride, every trouble you have, the root of it is your natural body, the, the natural soul within the natural body. And that's why he says, to put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows a corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. Now, hopefully you've learned that the new man is... Uh, your inner body, with the inner, the spiritual part of your soul, and that we're to build up the inner man and then use it to put over the old man, to mortify the old man. And you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we're going to just stop with that verse. Put away lying. Lying in itself can be many things and many different levels of lying. And here he says to put away lying in such a way that even to your own hurt, 
that you refuse to lie. And I make fun of people sometimes say, yeah, you know, you don't think you're a liar, but let, let me look at your driver's license. And I'll pretty much guarantee that you you have shaved a few pounds off your reported weight because they don't have a weigh scale. They ask you <laughs> to be honest, like, tell me your weight, tell me your height. And most guys have a little, little taller on their driver's license and a little lighter as well. And and I know one lady, she shaved off, I think, 10 years off her driver's license somehow. You know, so a little lying isn't okay. And this is the root of living by the inner man, that the inner man in righteousness and holiness, that new man that you can put on is so pure, so much like Christ, that it won't even exaggerate the little things, that it refuses to lie, even to save your own skin. That is a standard of holiness, a refusal to lie. We're going to pause there and we're going to look over in Ephesians chapter 6 and read verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So he's telling us the way to stand against the wiles of the devil is to put on the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So we can see there's an attack from the enemy, a sophisticated attack, where, where he's designed a special attack against you according to the weaknesses of your flesh. And it's those weaknesses in our flesh that allow the devil to have access. Now, I've grown up in my Christian life learning how to put on the armor of God every morning. I, I would confess I put on the armor of God, and I'd walk through it and think I left with the armor of God. But here it tells us more specifically what the armor of God is and how to put it on. Verse 13, Therefore take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the first set of armor that he talks about is the belt of truth. The belt is what holds all the armor together, you might say. And it says to put on the belt of truth. That's the first part of the armor of God. I want you to notice that the first part of your flesh that God wants you to get rid of is lying. Verse 25 of Ephesians 4, Therefore put away lying, that each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members uh, of one another. So I want you to tie these two together, that putting away lying is how you put on the belt of truth. How do I, as a Christian, wear the belt of truth? Is it just when I say I wear the belt of truth, or is it when I become truthful, where the truth of God is ruling in my life, in the lies of the flesh, I have put that away. And so, in putting on the armor of God is really an act of holiness. Holiness is how you wear the armor of God. I heard a preacher say one time, well, we all have our enemies that we fight with, and the enemies we think are outside of us, but really they're in us, in our flesh. The, the ites, the Israel had the ites, the Jezebites, the the Gidites and all the ice to fight. Let's 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 look at a few ites over in Joshua here. 
Joshua chapter 10. We're going to read a few of the enemies of Israel. And I liked how this preacher put it. He said, Israel had its ites. You have your ites that you have to fight with and overcome. Theirs were actual men of another country. Yours are, maybe it's pornography-ite, or maybe it's a lust-ite, or jealousy-ite. But we all have ites that we have to overcome. I'm over here in Joshua chapter 10. I'll start in verse 5. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jermoth, the king of the Lashmish, the king of Aegeon, gathered together and went up and they and all their armies encamped before Gideon and made war against it. And the man of Gideon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So you have your own ites that you're fighting. You have your own armies against you and you face them every day. It's very personal. That's why we're careful not to judge other people too harshly in their ites because we all have our own ites that we have to overcome. And it's that warfare, that battle that we have to overcome. And many Christians, I've learned as a preacher, it's much easier to deal with your problems than it is to deal with my own personal problems. It's part of Christianity. The basics of Christianity should be to live holy, but not just live holy by choice, but to become holy, to get those ites and kill them. Too many Christians have made partners with their ites. They, they don't lie too much, or they don't, they don't steal too much, or they don't exaggerate too much. They live okay, they, they've used discipline, but the ites is still there. And the devil can come back. That's why willpower only lasts until you want to do it. It's like going to the gym or changing your diet or, or making a, a different decision in life. I'm going to do this from now on. And you do it until one day you wake up and you don't want to do it anymore. Well, that's willpower. Willpower has the ability to take you so far, but the ite, unless you kill it, is still there. And that's part of the reason why I feel transformation is a lost art in the church. And it's such an important message for the church today. That the, the walk of holiness isn't just living holy by choice. As much as it is destroying the root inside of the natural man that wants you to be unholy. Because if you only use your willpower, decision to not do something then that's a good start. That is a very important start. But if that's all you do, that enemy is still there. That ite is still living in your land. It's still there. I remember a vision that Gary Carpenter had. He said he was um, praying and he had a vision where he was walking through the land and, and he knew that was his own kind of natural man. And as he's walking through, he saw a whole, he ran across a town with a, a wall and in the image, in the vision, he could see through the wall. I hope I'm telling this correct. And he could see through the wall. And he could see the people back there. And there was people inside of this city that were living on his land. And it was in the natural man. And he saw it. And the people inside the city stopped and looked. And they started to say, Look, oh, he can see us. He can see us. Watch out. He can see us. Look out. 
And Gary watched all this hustle going on inside the city as they were afraid because he spotted them. And, uh, and he said he moved on to the next city. And, and that was the Lord teaching him how he had to destroy a part of his natural man, a part of the battle that he was going through. And that many Christians see the problem and they walk away from the problem. And most of us, that's how we lived our Christian walk. So it's important in understanding why the Word says to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That the outward man has desires and deeds, uh, plans for you. And they're not always dirty, rotten sin, but they're not holiness. And they're not God's best. And it's our job not just to discipline them or to put a wall around them. It's actually our job to mortify the root, the deeds of the flesh. What is causing you to want those things? You may have had it for your whole life, but it's no longer you because you are a born-again child of God. And so the war that we have is to kill the ites and not just lock them up and not just leave them, but to actually kill them. The areas of your life, put away lying, means to kill the root of why you want to exaggerate. And that could be something that has nothing to do with trying to make yourself look good as much as some root somewhere deep down in your past that God knows how to help you to see it, to put a light on it, and to find the root. I remember the one girl that came to Bible college and she always dressed a little too provocative for the school and and Bible college students. We had little young preachers, young men trying to be preachers and they were worshiping God and their eyes were looking at her. And I remember talking to her like, okay, you need to dress appropriate. And it's in the handbook. You're in Bible school. And you need to dress appropriately. And I remember her looking at me with all honesty. And she said, I did. I bought this outfit specifically for school. I dressed up. And I realized that it wasn't that she was deciding on purpose to say, you know, I'm going to get these boys' attention. It was there was something in her broken. And, and now I know it was her natural man was broken. That said, you are not pretty. You're not worth anything unless you get a boy to snap his head and, and look at you. And if you can get that, you'll feel worthy and pretty and attractive for about three hours. And every three hours, she needed some boy to snap his head and look at her. And I'm, I remember thinking, how do you not know this? Well, because that's a root in her. Now, where is that root? Well, I can tell you the root was not that she was a hussy or trying to be like that. The root had something to do with even her childhood, something was broken in her natural man, in her childhood, that made her feel unworthy. And you could list a thousand reasons why. And that's why we don't judge people by what they're doing so much as, why are you doing that? Let's look at the root and find the root. Well, I'm not smart enough to help you find the root. No man is. You're not smart enough to find the root. But there is someone who's smart enough. It's called the Holy Spirit. When you pray in tongues enough, he will help shine a light on the root of why you're driven to certain things. And when you see that light shine on it, you'll see how ugly it is and how silly it is that you've been feeding it. And that's when you get to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, mortify it, the deed of it. And then if that's dead, there's no longer false desires to do things. There's no longer a drive to do things. And that's ultimately what transformation is, that in this world, before we go to heaven, 
we're able to take this outward man and the outward soul, mind, will, and emotions, and make it bow its knee to a place of death, a place of mortification where it still works, it's still healthy, but it obeys everything the inner man tells it. It doesn't try to lead, it bows its knee to the truth of God in you. That is a process of mortification. Here we see uh, the ites were fighting. I'm going to just jump over here to verse 12. In verse 12, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the, in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Joshua said, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Eljon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenged upon the enemy, their enemy. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So Joshua, in the fight, when the Amorites were in front of him, rather than take a break and rest, he commanded the sun stand still, and the Lord honored that command. And the sun stood still so that the army of Israel could destroy the Amorites, to destroy the enemy. This is the passion that you should have and I should have in dealing with their outward man. That we're not here just to be disciplined Christians. We're not here just to be behaved Christians where we control ourselves. We are here to transform on this earth into fully functional, healthy children of God in love and in holiness that people will experience the love of Jesus in us and the holiness of Jesus in us. It may sound like that's a big task, but it's not big. Your flesh is no stronger than anyone else's. You have the pathway through prayer, through worship, through fasting to begin to mortify the deeds of your flesh, so much so that lying will be killed. You will kill this reason why you exaggerate, the reason why you lie. You will kill the reason why you think a certain way or the reason why you're motivated. You can kill the root of pride. You can kill the root of jealousy. However it got there, you have the ability through the pathway. Now, I want to be careful because I'm not saying choice. Because if I were to say, will you choose to be holy? Every one of us say, yeah. Amen, brother. I'm choosing to be holy. And we we do good until we don't. We do good till we... We get wore out or we're tired or we're emotionally tired or we're lonely or depressed a little bit. And then all of our our walls of strength seem to disappear. And then we go back to where we are. Well, that's the place where you are, where we want to make that place a place of God. I'm going to go over here to 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. And I'm going to start in verse 24. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So Paul is telling us to to run a race where we receive the prize. We're supposed to run that way. That if you're going to run this Christian life, you need to run like you're going to win that you're fully invested into winning. And here he's talking comparatively to like the Olympics. 
the Olympic Games at the time where, where there was competition. And he said, if you're going to run this race as a Christian, we should run the race like the winner and with all of our focus and all of our heart. To many Christians, it's not their focus, this race. Their focus is to do their best in life, to be blessed, to be healthy, to be in abundance, to be used of God. But Paul tells us there's a race here that we're to run in such a way that we're trying to win the prize. It always bothered me, this verse, just because we're not to be competing with each other or comparing ourselves with one another. But here he says, run a race in such a way that you may attain the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain the perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Now here he uses the word beats the air. I don't I don't fight shadow box. I don't just fight and not hit the target. That when I punch, I hit hard and I knock knock the opponent out. Again, I always had a little bit of a problem with who am I knocking out this competition. Therefore I run, thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Verse 27 tells you who you're competing against, who you're racing against, who you're boxing against. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. If you want to look up the word discipline here, and subjection is a very ruthless meaning. It's a very strong meaning of, I beat him bloody. I knocked his eye socket out. I broke his nose. I hit him so hard, he's, he's dead. He's done. He's defeated. I took all his strength out of him. And this is the race, and, I, and what I want you to see here, that this race, this boxing match, is not against other people. It's not against the devil. It's you against your outward man. You're in a race the moment you're saved. Who's going to rule your life? Who's going to run your life? Who's going to tell you who you are? Who's going to tell you how to be happy? Who's going to tell you what success is? Who's going to lead your steps? Is it going to be Jesus with your inner man, or is it going to be the world with your outward man? Most Christians find a middle ground where they, they shake hands between the inner man and the outward man. And they end up not killing the ites, but only corralling the ites and disciplining the ites. But the scripture tells us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's killing the ites. That is to utterly kill the ites. There's a walk for you and for me where the things that push us, the things that if we leave it alone will fester, uh, can be actually be mortified. Kill, mortified means killed, means dead. It means it no longer lives. It is D-E-A-D, dead. Romans chapter 8. We'll look there real quick. Romans chapter 8, our famous verses here. Verse uh, 11. I'll start in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, if you have the new nature, the body is dead. The outward man is dead because of sin. But the spirit, the inner man, is alive because of righteousness, because of the new nature. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you're born again, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit which dwells in you. Talking about when the trumpet sounds, you're receiving a new mortal body. But until then, you're still wearing a mortal body. And that mortal body has desires and deeds, and that's who you're racing against. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You no longer have that nature of sin in you. You're no longer a debtor to live according to it because it's gone. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the body, you may live. So I just want you to really see here that your body, this natural man that you're wearing, has deeds, deeds, desires, plans for you. It's no longer you, but you're wearing it, and it has its own set of plans for you, its own set of desires. And this is what we must mortify, put to death. That's what mortify means, that I kill it. If you kill uh, kill something, it's dead. If you have a, a cockroach running around your house and you step on it, you may have to step on it three times, but you step on it until its guts are all over the floor in your shoe, it's dead. It's maybe twitching, but it's dead. It's not never going to bother you again once it's dead. That's what mortification means. How many Christians are not living in mortification of their outward man? Most Christians, or if I'll say many Christians, they don't even know what this means. They discipline their life. They choose good. They choose life. What would Jesus do? They wear bracelets. What would Jesus do? Because they have to ask themselves. They live an okay life. It's all right. But scripturally, we are to mortify the deeds of the body, the source, the root of what's causing you. See, that's no longer you. That is your natural man. And your natural man, eventually, when the trumpet sounds, you receive a new outward body. And when that day comes, you'll never have any more struggle, any more strife, any more battles with sickness, disease, with sorrow, with pride, with envy, with jealousy. Because the root of all those things is the natural part of your soul in the natural man. I'm going to go back over to Ephesians here. We're going to start again in chapter 4. Verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So your inner man is now created in righteousness and holiness. The new nature brought it to life. Now you can hold the things of God. This is why we pray in tongues. This is why we read the word. This is why we worship. Because we're filling up that inner man with the knowledge of God, with the truth of God, with the love of God. And as the new man fills up with those things of God and grows up, then we can put it on over the old man and we can replace where we live from. Then he says in verse 25, Therefore, talking about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, 
I know many of us have been taught that that means that if you go to bed at night with your wife and you're in an argument that you need to ask forgiveness before you go to sleep. But I want you to see the real meaning of this, I believe, is letting us look at how Joshua fought his ites that rather than go to sleep and finish fighting them tomorrow, he commanded that the sun stay still so he can slaughter them while they were in front of him. He wanted to kill them. He wanted to extinguish them from the earth. And this, I believe, is what it's referring to, that in your quest to be holy, in your quest to put on the armor of God, in your quest as a Christian, that every Christian needs to have this attitude, that I will not let the sun go down until I've killed all the ites in my life. This is the focus. This is why I believe the most important part of being a Christian isn't sharing the gospel with your neighbor. Now, I want to be careful because that's a good work. It isn't feeding the poor, even though that's a good work. The most important part of being a Christian is mortifying the flesh, building up the new man, so then you can walk in all the things of God every day of your life. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You should be so focused on this transformation. The moment you're saved, this is the message that should be taught to every believer as soon as they get saved. We need to get you filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to get you baptized. We need to get you on a path of walking with God. I've seen too many modern churches focusing on making everyone comfortable. We want everyone comfortable in the church. There was one song that came out, and it was a really catchy song, and it, it talked about God's love, and, and talked about God chasing me, and, and the whole church was singing it and singing it and, it, and it had kind of the theme of, God, you love me so much. You, your love is so amazing that you, when I run from you, you chase me down. When I, when I fail, you pick me up. When I when I run away from you, you find me. And it was a whole song about God's love to people that he would go to the ends of the earth to try to rescue them. And I remember telling the church, I said, you know what? The problem I have with singing this song is it says, God, you love me so much that even when I run away from you, when I run into sin, when I run into unholiness, you come and find me. I said, this is a song you should sing the moment you're saved. God, you found me when I ran from you. You found me when I when I was broken. But as a Christian, I should not be singing that song that I'm trying to live a life that's distant from God, that I'm, tr- I'm trying to live a life of, of fornication, and live a life of sin, and you love me so much you came and found me. The song of a Christian should be victorious, that God, you gave me what I need to overcome these things, that I'm an overcomer. I am strengthened by your spirit and your might to overcome even the brokenness of my past. It can't tell me who I am anymore. Too much of the church is, is singing songs to Jesus about him accepting them and loving them where they are. And he does love every person, even the worst of the worst. But it's not a question of how much he loves you. It's a question of how much you love him. Because if you love him, you will keep his commandments. If you love him, you will pursue holiness. I'm trying to encourage you today and hopefully kick you and myself in the rear end and say, let's pick up our fight against the things that are holding us back. It's not the devil. It's what the devil's using, which is in our natural man. That's who we're racing against, and that's who we're overcoming. 
That's who we're boxing against is the natural man. There is a race that you're in the moment you're saved. It's your inner man and your outer man. Who's going to lead you at the end of your life? Who's going who's to get the prize to say, I win. I got my way. I led. Because, you know, your outer man will serve God as long as you let it get what it wants. But when you start talking mortification, it's like when I first started to go pray in tongues, I thought I was going to get all kinds of cool things, money and a big house and a big ministry and all these fancy things. And my outward man and my inward man would join hands and sing, we're going to the prayer closet, going to get a big house, going to get a big ministry, a new car. And my flesh was happy to let me pray in tongues because it was going to get something, it thought. And it would come to the prayer closet and the Holy Ghost would be standing there and invite my inner man in and shut the door and leave my outward man on the outside. My outward man would say, after a couple hours, I'd come back out. My outward man would say, well, what did he say? Because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, it's your spirit that prays and your understanding is left unfruitful. While my inner man was praying, my outward man was left not knowing what was going on. He said, what did you pray? And I said, I don't know what I prayed. Well, after a little while, the outward man began to figure it out that, hey, wait a minute, you've been praying all these hours and we haven't got a new car yet. We haven't got a big house. It seems like every time you leave the prayer closet, you're not giving me what I want. You're actually taking things away from me. And as soon as my outward emotions, my outward man, my outward soul figured out that the prayer closet wasn't what was best for it, it changed his tune. So then when I decided to go to the prayer closet, it didn't hold my hand. It didn't sing with me. It dug its heels in and fought me and made me release the chemical emotions of defeat and discouragement, uselessness, trying to discourage me from going into prayer. And many Christians, when they, they start praying in tongues, that's what happens, is all of a sudden they don't want to pray. All of a sudden it doesn't feel exciting to pray. They're not motivated to pray. Well, that's because the outward man is now resisting you. That's the guy and that's the person you're in a race with, your outward man. And it's punishing you for serving God in the form of mortifying it. Many of the churches today are designed around appeasing the outward man, appeasing the outward soul of people, making it excited, giving it purpose, giving it prophecies and things to make it feel motivated to serve God, so celebrated. We're really the only place in Scripture for your outward man, mortification. And we're to treat it like the enemy. Uh, we're to treat it like the ite that is causing me, stopping me from moving forward. Like Pastor Gary, when he saw that vision, that was God teaching him, don't leave that there. Go destroy that city that's in the land of your promised land. You have to go destroy it. Well, there's areas in your life that God wants you to destroy. How do we destroy it? Well, that's the why we focus so much on praying in tongues, fasting, on worship, on meditating the Word of God. Because these are things that cause your inner man to grow up and help you to mortify the outward man. You don't need to go around and try to find all your faults. Just pray in tongues a lot. Just worship God and read your word a lot. Fast some when you can. And, and notice that God will begin to take you down this path where he'll show you the ite. He'll show you the root of why you might want to lie. 
why you might want to exaggerate. He'll show you the root of why you might need to get attention, why you might be prideful. He'll show you the root of how it got into you as a child in your past. It's in your flesh. It's not in your inner man, but it's affecting you. It's an ite that's in your territory. That's who you're competing against. That's who you're racing against. It will rule your whole life. It will stay there forever unless you kill it. Well, you don't need to go find it. Just pray in tongues and eventually the Holy Spirit will show it to you. And you'll see it. The thing you used to feed, you realize how ugly it really is. I had one guy say, you know, I was doing great till I heard the message of praying in tongues. And it promoted all these things in my life. And he blamed the message of praying in tongues for turning him into all kinds of things. And I said, well, don't blame the light for shining out what was there. Pastor Dave would always say, you, you go rent a hotel room, one of those old hotel rooms on the highway, you know, and you, you walk into one of the rooms and they have the light that hangs down from the ceiling and you, you walk into the middle of the room and you hear crunch, crunch, crunch because you're stepping on cockroaches. And you finally find the middle, the light rope in the middle of the string and you pull it, click, and the light comes on and all these cockroaches run all over the place. And he said, don't blame the light for the cockroaches. They were always there. And it is kind of true that you start praying in tongues and seeking God, you start seeing areas that you thought you were strong in that, oh, wait a minute, that's a cockroach. (laughs) I didn't know that was there, but the light helped you to see it, so now you can kill it. And that's the point of praying in tongues. We'll read some of this, and I want you to see that in Ephesians here, this is the battle that he's talking about. The armor of God is holiness. Holiness is what the armor of God means. That if you are truthful, then you are wearing the belt of truth. And that holds up everything else. The helmet of salvation, the righteousness produced, the breath protects your breastplate, the shield of faith. We'll start in verse 22, chapter 4. We'll just read a little bit. I want you to see all this imagery that we've been talking about in transformation. I want you to see that in this scripture. Verse 22 that you put off concerning your former conduct, chapter 4, the old man which grows a corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you, each one of you speak truth to, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who steals, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth for what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, these are all your ites. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God.
for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolishness, foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an adulterer has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. For all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So in other words, the Holy Spirit will help shine a light on the areas of why you're fighting a certain thing. Do you ever wonder why you're fighting something and someone else isn't? Well, because you have your own history. Your, your outward man has its own past. So it's broken and twisted in its own way. Everyone has their own eight, but the Holy Spirit is the answer to shine a light on the root of why you're fighting with that area. I remember reading a study on men who were large, extra large, in their weight, and, and how when for some of them they helped them see that they were afraid and their extra weight made them feel safe, like it was armor on them. And it wasn't because they loved food, it was that they felt unsafe, and that extra weight motivated them to eat unhealthy. And when they figured that out, they got healthier. Well, that's that's what I mean by the root. The Holy Ghost will show you the root of why you are the way you are in all areas that are unhealthy. And when you see it, then you have a choice. You can mortify it or you can keep it alive. And that's what we're learning here, that God wants our attitude when we can see the eight in our life. To be like Joshua and say, we're winning, but I'm not satisfied until I've killed it. And I'm not going to stop until I've killed it. I'm not going to come to a truce. I'm not going to find a happy medium. I'm going to go until I beat it up and it's dead. And that's with the help of the Holy Spirit. He will help you. He will show it to you. He'll make it, if you pray in tongues enough, all of us, one day, the thing that you used to love, you'll see it for how ugly it is. And the moment you see it, how ugly it is, how cruel it is, that's the moment you'll be able to kill it and mortify it and remove it from being a voice in your life. But all things that are exposed, verse 13, are manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, from Christ will give you light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand that the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is in dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in all this that we're talking about, all the way to the armor of God, 
there is a mortification of your outward man. There is a battle that every Christian has between the inner man and the outward man. And the message of transformation should be taught to every believer the moment they're saved. Hey, you're a new creature in Christ now. You have a new nature. You have a new inner man. But you also are wearing the old outward man, the old man. And the old man, as it says, grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. The old man, that's where corruption grows. That's where corruption lives. And you're wearing it. God did not fix that part of you. But he gave us a path called transformation, a path of praying in tongues, a path of speaking the word and meditating the word of God, a path of of worship, a path of fasting. If you do these things, he will assist you and help you to shine a light on the reason brokenness speaks to you, the reason weaknesses speak to you. There's people who, we had one man, we tried to help. He was uh, lived on the street. His name was Fred. We loved Fred. He came to church. He was drunk in his wheelchair. I remember he cussed me out <laughs> in the church first service. We reached out to him. A friend of ours helped, and we reached out to him, and he spent a lot of time with us. We got him an electric wheelchair, and he zoomed by, and he'd go bring all kinds of homeless people to the church for help. He became a great little evangelist, Fred. And I remember Fred probably 10 times in his life that I was with him. He's passed on now. We worked on getting him a place to live, an uh, income on Social Security, on disability. We worked hard probably 10 times in, in throughout the years because Fred would always leave and come back, leave and come back. I even got phone calls sometimes from police from a different state. Is this Pastor Allen? Yes. Uh, do you know Fr- Fred? Yeah, I know Fred. Uh, he says you're his pastor. Okay. Well, he's in jail here, and, and we want to, we will pay, <laughs> this is Fred, we will pay for Fred a bus ticket to leave our state to go go find you if you'll help him. If you're willing to help him and accept him, we will pay for him to leave our state. We'll take him out of jail and pay for him, to, for you to help him. This, <laughs> this was Fred's story. And every time we would get him, a group of us would help him. We would help him find a job. We'd help him in just every, just the day before we'd have a meeting with a lawyer set up for him to go get his disability, which meant like a monthly income from the government. We had it all set up. And every single time the day before he would disappear, he'd get drunk and go disappear. He'd go to a different state and go get in trouble there. This happened over and over and over until I saw the pattern. I learned from Fred about patterns that he would sabotage, not on purpose, but something in him would not allow him to be successful, would not allow him to be happy because of his past. And he never got past it. Every time we tried, we tried, we tried, we tried, and he could never get past a certain line. He wouldn't allow himself to be successful. Well, see, that's a brokenness in the flesh. That's an ite. Where did that I come from? I don't know. I know Fred's story a little bit. He, he was a, a good man with, a, a, from what I can tell, a beautiful wife and I think two children. That died, His wife and two kids died in a car wreck. A drunk driver hit them and he felt guilty about it. And I think from there he never allowed himself to be successful in life. He, there was something working in him 
And I can tell from the scripture, it's the ite in his flesh. It's the ite in his natural man, his natural soul. You would say, well, you just like being a drunk? No, he just refused to cross the line. Well, there's many reasons why people are the way they are. But there is one way for us, whoever we are, whatever we're going through, to win and have victory. The kind of victory we have killed the enemy with such force and strength that we're determined not to take the night off, not to rest, not to have time to recover. But we're so focused that we won't let the sun go down on our wrath. We're so focused on victory in the area that God has shown us, in the area that the Holy Ghost will show you when you see that area, that cockroach, that part of your flesh, that part of your natural soul that is broken, that is speaking to you the reasons why you need to be a certain way. The moment you see it, the moment the Holy Ghost shows it to you, that's your chance to not stop until you have mortified it. And once it's dead, that's the power of transformation. Once that is dead, the voice never comes back. You're no longer wrestling with that area because you've mortified it. That's the power of transformation. It doesn't matter how strong you were before you were saved or how broken you were. One man, the only reason he was successful in life and driven for money, he's very successful. They would write books about his success. The only reason he was successful was because he was afraid of not having money. He was afraid. It was fear that drove him to make money, not, not because he was just smart, but fear. There was brokenness that drove him, and the world gave, said it was success, but it was really motivated by fear. There's many reasons in the natural. Well, that's what psychology does. It, it tells you why you are the way you are. It doesn't matter why you are the way you are. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It's still the flesh, and it must be mortified. That's why we pray and we worship. We fast. We do these things because we are in a race. You are in a race. Your inner man versus your outward man. At the finish line, the question will be, who won? Who won the voice of God in your life, the voice of the world through your flesh? Who led you? Let's keep on this path of transformation. We have a world to change. Our future is exciting. And when you see that light lit up and you see it, don't rest until you have mortified it. Hope I've helped you a little bit. God bless you and thank you for spending time with me.